Hello, queens, and welcome to the Purity After Promiscuity podcast. It's your host, Janelle Renee, and I just welcome you all on today, this Friday, this good day, and just come along on this journey as we continue to redefine a woman's worth here on the Purity After Promiscuity podcast. I hope all is well. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you to all my loyal listeners. You guys are the bomb. And thank you to all my new listeners because you guys are the real MVP. You guys can Continue to keep me encouraged, continue to keep me um, just being able to every week, even in my moments of weary, because I be weary, y'all. Even in my moments where I just want to give up, because there's many a days I want to give up. Life can't happen. The struggle is real. You know, the, a couple episodes ago, that was what we um, titled one of the episodes, The Struggle is Real, because it is. Life really do happen. Things really don't go according as plans. Disappointment really happened. Failed expectations are a reality. Like things, life sometimes falls apart. The bottom falls out. Like everything that you thought, that you knew, sometimes literally it's turned upside down, right? So it's real. And even as a woman of faith, even as a Christian, a Christ follower, it's real. It's real. So it takes a lot sometimes to get up here every Friday to to continue to not just encourage myself, but to encourage you all. Because a lot of times these episodes, I be speaking to me because I'm going through a thing, right? So I just want to say to you all, just thank you, like a genuine thank you. I know I thank you guys every episode, but I want you to know it's not just something I say. It is something I truly mean because you guys have no idea how sometimes it can be a challenge, an obstacle, a true pressed just to say I'm about to get up and do the podcast just to do that. And the most reason why I do it is you. I do it for you. Whoever you are, whoever you are listening right now it's for you. And I pray whatever it is you need, whatever um, answer prayer, whatever clarity, whatever wisdom, whatever, you know, um, practical tool, you know, whatever, um, what, whatever, you know, encouragement, right? Whatever it is you need, I pray that you receive it. Um, I pray that God meets you exactly where you are today. And it doesn't matter where you are. You could be a new a new believer, a new a babe in Christ. You could be a seasoned saint who's been walking with the Lord all your life. You can be someone who just thinking about becoming a Christian. You can be someone who is, you know, believes a different type of religion. You could be an atheist. It doesn't matter where you are. God loves you anyway. God wants you to know he loves you anyway. God wants you to know that whenever you're ready, he's been ready, right? Like, God always ready. He's always ready with open arms to receive you, sis. It doesn't matter what you've done. Like, I don't know. The Bible tells us that nothing can separate us from the love of God. There's not a height. There's not a depth. There's not an angel. There's not a demon. There's not life nor death. There's not anything, a valley, a mountain. There's nothing, right? So that means... Whatever you've done in your life, God already factored that in when he created you. From the beginning, he already knew it. It's no surprise to him. It may be a surprise to you, but it's not to him. He already knew, and he chose to love you anyway. He chose to send his son to die for you anyway, knowing we were going to be sinners, knowing we were going to be wretched, knowing we were going to be full of evil and wickedness. And he said, but I love you anyway. Because that is unconditional love. And that is how God loves you. That's how Jesus loves you. So much so that he laid his life down for you. That he allowed himself to be crushed, broken, and bruised. And the chastisement of of our peace was upon him. He did that for you, sis. He did that so you can know your worth. He did did that so you can know your identity. He, He did that so you can know your place, right? He did that so you can understand that you are royalty, that you are valuable. So much so that he paid a price for you. And and it's it's a price that has that really there is no there's nothing that we can even equate the value of the price that was paid. Like it is priceless. He there was a ransom, right? He ransomed them, ransomed, ransomed, ransom. I can't speak this morning. <laughs> uh just like when a person gets kidnapped, right? A lot of times we see these movies and, um, you know, someone's kidnapped and then the kidnappers, they're calling and they want to ransom and they're like, pay me $50 million. You can have back your daughter. Well, that's kind of like what the enemy did. 
when sin came in the world because the enemy sowed that seed in the beginning, it's like we were kidnapped, right? Because God's original plan was for us to be in the garden and to have that intimate, close relationship with him to to be able to walk with him intimately right to be able to really be in his presence to really have just that 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 perfection of a relationship right um and the enemy wanted to distort that and destroy that because he got kicked out of heaven before his rebellion because he you know got full of pride and he decided he wanted to rebel against god and he wanted to be god and he got a third of the angels to go and and to and they you know revolted and then next thing you know boom they cast down because they wasn't gonna win they wasn't gonna come against god god it wasn't gonna happen but sometimes sin and sometimes when we allow sin to distort our mind or we get so overtaken where we're like drunk in sin or where you're not thinking clearly you kind of think that you can do something that you really can't do so the end result for him was he got cast out he got banished and so therefore now he is satan where he used to be an angel he used to be lucifer angel of glory he used to be an angel of music he used to be a very very beautiful angel but that wasn't enough and a lot of us are like him right uh, we have all these gifts and talents we have all of these amazing qualities. Uh, we have so much going for ourselves, but for some reason, it's not enough. It's not enough. So we want more, right? We want more money. We want more uh, influence. We want more authority. We want more attention, more likes. You know, we want we want more, 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 more. Right? It's like contentment is something that is. In this day, in this in this culture, in this society, it's just so far removed because the 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 agenda, the idea that's being pushed is you need more to 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 be success. It's like the the definition of success continues to change daily because success continues to tell us this is what it means. So if when you have this amount of money, when you have this amount of assets, when you have this amount of you know companies, when you have this amount of businesses, when you have this amount of accolades, when you have this amount of degrees, when you have this amount of whatever, fill in the blank, that is success. And then you get that, but then by the time you get it, it changed. And it's like, okay, now you gotta have this too. And so it's constantly like this, you're you're just you're just climbing up this wall and you're never gonna reach the top because soon as soon as you think you get close to the top, and somehow the the wall goes higher, right? And so when the sin came in, we never would have had a wall. There wasn't a wall between us and God. There wasn't a disconnect and that we didn't need anything. We were complete whole, lacking nothing, right? When God created Adam, he looked at Adam and he said Adam was very good, which was different from everything else he created. When he created the heavens and the earth, I mean, when he made the firmament and the sun, the moon, the stars, and he separated the light from the darkness and there was night and there was day. And then when he, you know, created and separated the firm, you know, the, the waters from the land and he made the seas and oceans. And then he made, you know, land and he put the seed and the trees and he put, you know, animals in the, in the, in, in the, um, in the sea and on land and in the and in the air and he just did everything and every day he was creating right every day he was being productive and every time he created something he said it was good so nothing god created is bad interestingly enough uh, everything was good but when it came on the sixth day when it came to mankind when it came to adam and eve he said it is very good but even before that he said, let us create mankind in our likeness, right? So the reason why, in my opinion, we were considered very good is because we were created in the likeness of God. Because he's very good. He's not just good. You know, a lot of times in, in the church or a lot of times as Christians or even people, you know, sometimes we just always say things like God is good. But like, really, we're talking about God here, right? We're talking about the creative creation. We're talking about God, Elohim. We're talking about there. there is nothing, no one, nothing higher. We're talking about the most holy God, God of the universe, you know. And so for us to just say he's good, that's like, eh, no, he's very good. 
Matter of fact, good probably is even too low of a vocabulary, of a, of a word in the vocabulary to really describe who he is. But if we had to put context around it, we could say very good because at least very good is, is you know, when you hear very good, that that means it's better than good, right? So God is better than good. And when he created us, he said, we are better than good. We're good. And so the enemy didn't like that because he was no longer good. See, when he was an angel and he was the angel of glory and he was ushering, ushering in the glory of God through music um, and he was just so beautiful, right? And so you could think of like worship, right? You could think of the most amazing worship experience. Like he was just orchestrating that, right? And we know worship is so powerful. Worship is a weapon. It's powerful. It ushers in the glory of God, the presence of God, the spirit of God. There is something powerful about worship and see that was, that's what he used to be. So he probably was very good. He probably, you know, was distinguished from all the other angels, which Angels all have their different um, responsibilities. They have their different um, purposes and things that they did. But for him, you know, he might have been a little bit distinguished because he really ushered in the other ushered in the presence, right? Ushered in the glory. He he, you know, and he was beautiful, right? So he was he had a gift, an amazing gift, and he was very very physically attractive on the outside he was he was a very glorious amazing beautiful looking angel so now now that he's banished and he's cast out of heaven he lost all that so he lost his being very good right and he lost him having that closeness that connection that intimacy with god because see he might have had a different type of relationship with god than the other angels because of what his purpose was right so now he lost all of that. So then God goes and say, okay, okay, well, I had to banish, you know, Lucifer out of heaven along with a third of the other angels. So now I have to create something else, right? Ooh, my God. He said, now I have to create something else that can bring me glory, mm, my Lord. And so what he did was he said, let us create mankind in our image. And then he created mankind and he said, ooh, that's very good. And so the enemy is like, um... No, I got to the enemy now. He wants to come and distort this, this almost kind of like, um, replacement for him and his, what his, what his, um, place was in heaven. Right. So he looks at us, he looks at mankind and he's like, no, no, no. And so then what did he do? You know, he saw a seed. He didn't make Eve, you know, eat of the fruit and Eve didn't make Adam eat of the fruit. What the enemy did was he sowed a seed. He sowed a seed of doubt. He sowed a seed of confusion. And that seed birthed sin. And here we are. So now it's like there has a wall was constructed and we've been kidnapped by sin. We've been kidnapped by the enemy because the Bible tells us that we were once all children of disobedience, right? So before we're saved, it's like we're children of sin. So now we, now that we were kidnapped, Jesus had to come. God had to say, okay, now I have to go back and ransom what was already mine. But because sin disconnected us and erected a wall where we would have had that perfect unity and that perfect oneness with God, that we will be completely in covenant with him, that we will have no barriers, that we will have nothing in between inter interceding, impeding our connection to God, where we would have that intimacy with him. And we were walking close with him, hand in hand, in the garden, in perfect perfection. That has now been dis disrupted and distorted by sin. We've been kidnapped by sin because of the seed that the enemy sowed from the beginning because God made us in the beginning. Now we're still reaping the, the result and, and the harvest of that. But God comes back and he said, but I can come and I'm going to redeem you and bring you back to me. So now that wall that used to be between us when we were dead in our sin has now come down by the blood of Jesus Christ. And now we've been paid. The blood paid our ransom because the blood atoned for us. Jesus became the propitiation of our sins where he now became the one who took all of that, all of that sin, all of that evil, all of that wickedness unto himself. 
just to set us free. So now the ransom was paid. Now the kidnapper no longer has, don't have no hold on us, don't have no right to us, cannot, cannot continue to hold us hostage. We are set free by the blood if you receive it. We are set free by the blood. So we're no longer being held hostage by sin. But sometimes we allow the enemy to sow a seed in our mind, a lie to make us believe we are still hostage to sin. When you receive Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So you're not condemned. You're convicted and corrected but you're not condemned. Anytime there's condemnation, anytime you feel shame, you sh- you feel guilt, you feel like hiding. Remember in the garden after they ate of the fruit and they uh, their eyes were opened and they now recognized they were naked and they and then it says they were naked and ashamed. So now they went and hid. So anytime we we look at ourselves and we're ashamed and now we feel like we got to go hide, we need to go cover up. We know that's not God. That's the enemy. And so the enemy tries to make us still believe that we are still held hostage to sin, to our past, to our mistakes, to our shortcomings, to our failures, to our families, all of these things. And it is not so because a ransom has been paid. And this ransom, like this ain't like, you know, somebody went ahead and tried to write a check and then they, they flunged ain't clear. You know what I'm saying? This ransom was like, listen, the funds was there. It was cleared. Like this ransom was like, it was legit. Like there's nothing that can take it away. Jesus paid the price once and for all. When he took his last breath on the cross, he said, it is finished. The veil was torn. Now we get to enter back into the secret place and we can go right back into the presence of God and have that intimacy, that closeness, that oneness, that unity. We can walk like we're in the garden again because we got to understand God created the earth. So the earth is still like the garden. He created it. We still see the trees. We still see the sun. We still see the moon. We still see the sea. We still see the land. We still see the animals. We still see everything that God created in the beginning. We see it every day. We may take it for granted, but we see it every day. We see God's workmanship every single day. We wake up, we open our eyes. We get to experience God's workmanship out externally, but we experience it you know, internally, experientially, because we are God's creation. So God, it's interesting how even though sin came in, it didn't change God's, it it altered the type of the way we could have relationship with him temporarily, but it never changed creation. Creation continued to be how God made it in the beginning. We continue to be very good. That's why God continued to make a way for us to be back in right standing. That's why he continued to, to make a way for us to be back and, and be in that and have that intimate relationship with him and that closeness. Because he, it didn't change the fact that we were very good. Just because we fell into sin did not change the fact that we were very good. It did not change the fact that we were still created in God's image. It did not change the fact that he loved us and he loves us so much so that he gave because love is sacrificial. So it does not matter where you're at in your life, who you are, who your family is, what you come from, what you've done, what you used to do, what you may want to do, because it's a process. If you've been a certain way all your life, you've done a certain thing, you have certain habits, you have certain mindsets, beliefs, behaviors, sometimes, yes, you can have an encounter with Jesus Christ and that can just immediately fall away. Some, a lot of the times it's a a process and it's still okay. We have to get away from this idea that we need to be perfect because that's what we'll never be. That's the one thing that changed. That's the one thing that changed. See, in the beginning, Adam and Eve were perfect. They knew no sin. They were without sin, right? They didn't even know that that there was a good and evil existed. They only knew what they knew. That's why when they ate the fruit, their eyes were open. Now they, now it's like their eyes were open to something that they were never exposed to and weren't never supposed to be exposed to. 
that there's actually something opposite than good that exists. They were only going to understand and know and experience good because God created the garden in such a way that they had everything they needed. They didn't need nothing else. All that they all they were supposed to do was be fruitful, multiply, have dominion to do the earth. Like that's all they were supposed to do. Adam had already been in purpose. He was he had an assignment. He was naming the animals. Next thing he was supposed to be doing was cultivating the land, having dominion over it, subduing it. His his helper came along to help me. She came. They were able to physically be um, fruitful, to multiply, to bring more people like them to bear children, but also to be completing their own their assignments together individually. She was there to help him to do what God called him to do. And then he was supposed to come alongside her and help her to birth what God told her to birth. That that didn't change. But they were in perfection. They were immortal. They weren't going to they weren't going to die. And they had complete access and intimacy with God. They were close with him. They had an intimacy. They were there was a oneness. And that's what changed. So now this idea of perfection, this idea, okay, let me get myself together, then I'll go, I'll get saved. Okay, let me do this, then I'll do. Let me then it's like that's backwards. That's backwards because see, even when they sinned and God told them if they ate the fruit, they would surely die. There was a death. It was the death of their relationship with God in the way that they knew it. Their relationship with God didn't die completely, but the way that they knew it, the closeness, the intimacy, the oneness, the really just having, seeing the glory of God, they probably were able to see the glory of God in his fullness. That died. And even though they went and they made coverings out of fig leaves for themselves, instead of them dying, God killed animals in their place. Again, that's where we see in the Old Testament where they sacrificed animals as an atonement, as an offering for their sin. But instead of them dying, something had to die though. The animal died. And then God took the skin of the animal and he fully covered them. Because see, if you if you can imagine leaves Leaves are only so big. They're like really fragile. You probably can't make a whole outfit, a whole ensemble out of some leaves. I'm assuming people are very creative. I could be wrong. It's just my assumption. But if you take skin, even today, you can see, I just was at a store yesterday here um, and they had cow hide, but it was like, you know how people, you might see a home where somebody has like that really pretty um, rug on their floor and it look and it is like, you know, it's a real animal skin. Well, I saw one of those yesterday, interestingly enough. And then I was like, hmm, people really take, this is a real animal skin, by the way, right? But when you think of that, that's something that can really cover you. This is why they, they sell it. This is something you can cover your floor with. This is something, if you really wanted to, you could make you an outfit with, and it would be a very durable, viable type of material that would be able to cover you. So God said, okay, because God is true. His word is true, right? So something had to die. The relationship, like they knew it, died. That oneness with God, like they had before, died. Animals died. Something had to die. So the word was true. God said, surely you will die. And see, eventually they did die. Because where they were immortal, they now became, had a life expectancy, right? So things died. And they did die. And the way that they knew God died. But what God said, but yet I'm going to still fully cover you. Even though I got a now you can't be in my presence like you used to even though you know i this this wall has now been constructed because of the sin even and your disobedience even though right even though i gotta kill another one of my creations to cover you i'm gonna fully cover you before i send you out because that's the kind of god we serve 
So when we think that we need to cover ourselves, we think we need to fix ourselves, we think we got to get it all together and, and do all this before we can come to Christ, that's backwards because that's, that's what he does. All we have to do is be willing and available. All we have to be is sincere in our heart. All we have to do is truly come and have an experience. Have an encounter with Christ Jesus is beyond repeating scriptures or repeating, you know, what people may say, a prayer of salvation. It's beyond that. You got to have an experience with Christ. You truly got to have a transformation take place in your heart. It's not emotional. But then Jesus, by his sacrifice, by his blood, he'll begin to clean you up. He'll begin to cover you. He'll begin to make you whole. He'll begin to heal you. Right? But at the end of the day, we have already been blood bought. No matter who you are. No matter what you believe. No matter what you've been taught. You've been blood bought. See, salvation is for everybody. That's why it says many are called. Salvation is for everybody. It's a free gift. It's for everybody. The only thing you got to do is receive it. It's for every culture, nationality, creed, origin, gender. It's for all. There is no, it's no discrimination anymore. We have been grafted in, the Jews and the Gentiles. We're all available. Well, we're all able to receive that ransom, right? But see, sometimes we allow our our own mind sometimes. I think for me, it's sometimes the things that I think about myself. Sometimes it's the things that that that, that how I how I really view myself and, and perceive myself that prevents me from truly receiving the love of Jesus Christ. You know, I know I'm saved. But sometimes I battle with if I'm really loved. See, I'm not, I don't question my salvation anymore because I got to the place that I know that I know that I know that I'm saved. But the question for me be, am I loved? Because I come from being so, um, I've been so deprived from, a, from the time I was a child of real love, right? Um, I've been like, dehydrated like my love tank has been empty I have been like dehydrated in the area of love where it was just like nothing every every experience and encounter I had with love has some type of negative um it, it, it was attached to something negative like abuse violation being taken advantage of um, being mistreated, uh, being betrayed, rejected. Um, every time I really had a relationship with the person that I assumed or believed loved me, something negative happened. You know, if I wasn't as a child, you know, I was molested by someone who was supposed to love me, by a family member, a close family member. So that already distorts your your perception of, of love because now my experience of love is attached to molestation then you know again I was molested and when I told my my mother she didn't believe me and she chose to continue on with that relationship with that man and I was forced to still live in the home with that person they didn't do it anymore but the fact that they did and my mom didn't protect me Again, now she, being my mother, the one I assume is supposed to love me, I assume does love me, um, is supposed to protect me. Now, again, here my experience of love is is rejection, uh, disappointment, um, abandonment, you know, um, fear, being like all of these things. So again, these is this these things happened early on in my childhood. Um, and then after that, at, by the age of 12, I took a bunch of pills and I was committing suicide. Um, I, I was, I really, at that moment wanted to die. And, um, because so many things between birth and 12 had happened and it 
impacted me so much and it broke me. It, it, it literally destroyed me. I was so ready. I had no will to live. Like I was perfectly okay with, okay, this is it. It's, I'm better off not here because I was dead anyway. Because I was emotionally dead. You know, I was mentally dead. Um, and so I just was, I felt like I was a walking dead person. I was hurting, aching, oozing, bleeding so much and nobody noticed. I live in, I was living in a household with my parents and my grandmother and no one noticed. I was, I was dying inside. No one noticed. And so then I allowed the, the voices because, you know, if we're honest, sometimes we talk to ourselves, but sometimes it'd be a seed sown. We don't really know where it come from. And then we start having other thoughts. But when that seed, those seeds started to be sown, like no one loves you. No one cares about you. They'll be happy when you're gone. You're better off dead. You know, no one's going to care. They're going to celebrate and be happy. Those things start coming in your mind because you're already so vulnerable. You're so fragile. So by the age of 12, I took a bunch of pills in my bedroom. I can still remember it like it was yesterday. I'm 39. And I remember sitting in that little bedroom taking those pills. First of all, when I was thinking about taking them and I opened the cap and I poured them out, I poured out the whole bottle. And I just took a handful and I just sat with myself and I just made the decision, like, this is it. I'm doing it. And I hope they come up here and find me So because it's their fault, right? I wanted to punish them. And I took all the pills. I took them all. It was like a brand new bottle of pills. And I took them all. And I just sat on the bed waiting to die. Waiting. Thinking, like, okay, now what? You know, what happens now? You know, how long is it going to take? What is it going to feel like? Um, one more thought of, do I, did I really like want to do this? Okay, yeah, I'm doing this. And just sit there waiting. And um, just remember hearing something say, get up. And I'm like, no. And it's interesting because nobody was in the room with me. I was by myself. Um, and then something said, get up again. And I'm like, no. Um... And I was like, not sure, because I'm 12, number one. Number two, I just took a whole bottle of pills. So I'm not sure if this is a side effect. I'm not sure if this is normal suicide process. You know what I mean? Like you hear voices, you hear something, you know, I don't know. I'm so young. Um, so I'm not even really questioning what this voice is. <laughs> that's speaking to me, that's so funny. But I wasn't. Um, and so the third, and I started getting drowsy. I started to get weak and I started getting drowsy. The pills are starting to work. So I'm laying like I go from sitting up on the edge of the bed to kind of laying, having my elbow in the bed, supporting myself, propping myself up because I was getting tired. And um, the voice the third time, it was kind of strong that time. And it was like, get up, go downstairs. And I was just like, no. I don't want to. I'm not going downstairs. And it was kind of like I was going like down. I was like so going in and out at this point. I'm losing like consciousness because I'm sleepy. I'm kind of wanting to doze off trying to. And so at, at some point I decide to listen to the voice and I get up. I'm like wobbly. I'm trying to keep my um, self from falling. And then my bedroom was upstairs and we had this, like we lived in this old ancient house that was probably built in 1960. It was just like the weirdest type of, you know, architectural structure of a house, a home or whatever. And it was like the stairwell, the stairway was like real narrow and super dark, even when it wasn't dark outside. And so, and it was kind of steep. Right, it kind of went almost like a straight down, almost kind of thing. It was just so crazy. So now I'm already like not able to be barely keeping my balance, 
wobbling in and out of consciousness trying to go down these stairs so now my objective in whatever part of my mind that is still semi-logical trying to keep myself from just tumbling and falling down the stairs so I'm walking real slow holding on to the banister real tight because I'm literally like my eyes is closing like it's to the point where I can barely keep them open I'm having to force them open to walk down the stairs because the medicine is taking effect and I'm like I'm starting to feel weird in my body you know what I mean I didn't like it was just so many things going on and so by the time I make it to the bottom of the stairs and I walk around the corner walk through the living room because I could hear my mom and my grandmother in the kitchen talking, laughing, gossiping, doing what they normally do. And I'm trying to make it through to where they are. And I'm like, I'm telling y'all, listen, I don't know how I made it. Honestly, I don't know how I made it because it was like I was a walking zombie at that point. I, I, I was barely, barely conscious, barely able to keep myself up. And all I could do was make it to the kitchen doorway in between like the little dining room and kitchen, stood in the doorway and I stayed. They didn't even see me. They were so engulfed in their conversation and talking that they didn't even notice I was there and, and they were talking. And you know, when you a kid, listen, I, I might have was like, you know, intoxicated by this effect of this medicine and I might have was losing consciousness but I knew one thing for sure too for certain I was taught you don't disrupt adults when they talking so I'm standing there holding myself up between in this doorway with one arm on each wall to try to balance myself I'm literally rocking back and forth like my eyes is closing I'm trying to wait for them to stop talking so I could say something and I couldn't because at this point I knew like I was about to, I was passing out so all I could say is I took a bunch of pills called 911 and I don't remember I think I'm almost 100% positive I end up passing out completely and next thing I know that I was in the ambulance and they were trying to wake me up um and then there is more to the story I don't want to take the whole episode up but I will say this part um I remember being in, in the hospital and they made my my mom and my parent um and my grandmother they made them leave out the room because they wanted to know kind of like what was going on. Why did I, you know, attempt suicide um, and all this stuff. So they made them leave. And so they were like asking me a bunch of questions, but I'm so incoherent and like going in and out of consciousness, barely can keep myself awake. I'm not really able to answer their questions and stuff. So I just remember um, a nurse having to sit there by my side and she was trying to keep me woke. And she kept talking to me and I was irritated because she kept talking to me and I wanted to go to sleep because y'all can imagine if you just take the regular dose of medication, certain medication is going to make you just sleepy because drowsiness and tiredness is just a side effect of it. But can you imagine taking the whole bottle? Now it's like you're, it's, you're beyond sleepy. You like you're asleep. You know what I mean? And so I'm like irritated. This woman won't leave me alone. And so she, I just kept trying to tell her like, leave me alone. And she was like, no, if I, if you go to sleep, you might not wake up. And I remember my response to her was good. I don't care. And this woman, I remember this woman. I don't know her name. She was um, a nurse. She was this white woman. She stood up. And she stood up and she stood kind of over the gurney that like the bed I was on and kind of got close to my face. And she said to me, I don't care what I have to do. If I have to take a feeding tube and put it down your nose, down your throat, into your stomach and pump that charcoal in your stomach, you are not dying today. That was the first time I ever felt like someone cared about me, that I mattered, that I was valuable. And this was a complete stranger. This was a woman who I didn't even know her, did not know her name, never saw her again. But in that moment, I knew that she was serious and I ended up trying my best to stay up had to drink the charcoal, 
to deactivate the um, the medication because they didn't know what I took because I don't think I could tell them what I took. So the best that they could do was have me drink that. That would just, you know, just deactivate the effects of the medication so I wouldn't die. But, um, yeah, that was at age 12. Um, so sometimes my own mind, I said all that to say, to bring context around when I say Sometimes in my own mind, I question, am I loved? Even by Jesus, even by God, because I've had, even after that, I had experience after experience after experience where the, um, where the person who loved me or said they loved me, it was attached to something negative, hurtful, you know, uh, that was destructive, right? Damaging, traumatic. And so now understanding what love really is, it's, it's one thing to have to now retrain your mind to rethink, to unlearn the, the wrong teaching, to learn the right teaching. It's one thing to do that. It's a whole nother thing to actually receive that, actually to accept that, actually to implement that, right? And so oftentimes, you know, I struggle in my mind. And so I have to even remind myself that I was loved even when them people didn't love me. And the reason why I'm still here, the reason why that that voice was get, telling me who was Holy Spirit, who was God telling me to get up to go downstairs, it was because I was loved. The reason why he, he used this nurse to really awaken me, right, so that I would live was love and sometimes we get so caught up in the people in our lives who we expect to love us who we assume love us who we believe love us and when they don't or when that love is destructive and distorted and it's and it's tied to abuse and trauma then we begin to assume that if they didn't love us nobody loves us and if nobody else in this entire earth loves you you gotta know that God loves you. The fact that you're still here. I don't know your story. I don't know what you've gone through. I don't know what difficulties you've had in your life. But if you're still here, if you made it through something, if you made it through nothing, if your life was just good, you had a good family, good upbringing, good childhood, life was great, you have very good memories and experiences, I am so excited and happy for you because that is a blessing. However, you're still loved. There's still someone in heaven named Jesus and named God, Yahweh, Elohim, Adonai, who loves you even more than they do. Even if you have children, he loves you more than your children love you. And most of us who got kids, we know our babies love us. Our babies love our dirty draws. We can't do no wrong in our baby's sight. Babies love their parents. But God loves us even more because he's our parent right? Even if you have a spouse, even your earthly parent, because our parents, sometimes we just get parents who were broken themselves like me. And so even if they, they wanted to love me, or maybe they actually did love me, but their love was broken because they were broken. I have to continue to remind myself that they're human right? And they can only give out of what they have, out of the capacity that they can hold, right? So you can't expect a unhealthy, hurt, broken person to be healthy, right? It's like, it's like really, that's just so asinine. When you really expect a person who is just totally unhealthy to behave in a healthy way. And that, that is something I had to receive and learn. And I had to really um, allow God to work on my heart so I could forgive my parents and forgive the people who hurt me because I've been harboring hurt and anger and unforgiveness and resentment and all of these things in my heart towards my parents and the people that hurt me for a long time because I assumed they were supposed to be perfect. I assumed they were, I assumed they were supposed to be, they were supposed to be able to love me the way that I deserve to be loved. I assumed that. I assumed that because they were 
parents because they birthed me, that that means that they were equipped to be able to raise me, to love me, to nurture me. I assume that. And the, and the reality is that's just not true. They're human. And they have their own experiences. They have their own baggage. They have their own trauma. They have their own abuse. You know, they have their own rejection. They have their own pain. Just because you birthed a child don't mean you equipped. And I had to, I had to understand that. So now I have to constantly battle myself and remind myself of the truth and not allow myself to continue to try to, you know, to fester on the lie that I'm not loved just because a person who say they love me or a person who supposed to love me was not able to love me in the way that I desire to be loved. Because again, I believe my parents love me, but their love just came, it came and it was broken. Their love came and it had some things that were attached to it because they never went through healing. They never went through counseling. They never, you know, got the the healing, the and treatment that they needed. They never addressed their issues. You know, a lot of our parents come from that era where, you know, what happens in our house stays in our house. We don't talk about it. It's the family secret. We sweep it under the rug. We don't deal with it. We don't go to counseling. We don't put the white man in our business. And please forgive me if anybody who is, you know, of who are white or any other culture, it is no shade. It is not nothing against you. That is just something those of us who are black and brown, a lot of us just grew up in that type of culture and that type of community. We were told things like that. Our parents were told things like that. So that is the learned behavior that they that they walked in, then that they go and they project it on us. And we wonder why we a mess. But even in our mess, we are loved. Why we were still sinners, yet Christ died for us. So it doesn't matter. A ransom has been paid. We're no longer being held hostage in sin. Whatever your sin is, whatever your struggle is, whatever your issue is, sis, you don't got to stay there. The The blood covers it. The Bible tells us that God's love covers a multitude of sins. So that don't matter. If you want to be saved, you can. If you want to be free, you can. If you want to be whole, you can. Christ is the answer. And as well as practical things. some Therapy. Again, get therapy. Go to therapy. Get counseling. Go to pastoral counseling. Go to grief counseling. Trauma counseling. Whatever it is you need, deal with the issue. Acknowledge your pain. Acknowledge that that thing hurts you. Acknowledge that that person hurts you. Whatever it is you need to do, change your environment, right? Start journaling. Start, you know, changing your circle. If everybody in your circle is negative, toxic, and they're triggering to you, change it. If you need to move, move. Whatever you need to do practically, develop new habits, learn how to train your mind, continue to speak the truth over yourself, you know, start reading, you know, the Bible, number one, if you're a Christian or even thinking about being a Christian, because everything that God says about you is there. That's a great place to start. You can start in the Gospels, in in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Great. You can start with the book of John because it kind of really goes into more depth about in the beginning and Jesus and God and all of those things and a lot of Jesus ministry. And so you can really get to know who Jesus is. And and then there are so many tools out here. Get into, you know, a small group, you know, get into, you know, a a group, uh, you know, accountability, you know, get accountability partners, you know, don't feel like you got to do this alone because you don't. I don't know where you are, but I know right now that there are so many things available to us, whether it's on um, with technology, whether it's through social media, whether it's through a local church, a community center, you can create something yourself. If you feel like there's nothing in your area, there is no small group, there's no Bible study, there's no group of women that is really, you know, just a community where you're encouraging, supporting, and, and, and loving on one another and building and growing and, you know, just being those, um, accountability partners to one another, you create it. Sometimes your biggest issue, your your biggest problem is something that you're supposed to create. Sometimes you can't wait around for somebody else to do it. You just need to. But you don't have to stay where you are, sis. And I'm talking to myself because I've been struggling. 
I've been struggling in my own mind. I've been struggling trying to figure out what am I supposed to be doing, right? I feel like I'm I'm just like I, I, I just like uh, in a rut. Like I'm like, Lord, what am I supposed to be doing right now? I want to be more productive. I need to find my way. I'm trying to rebuild my life. I'm in a season where everything I had to leave everything, all the old um, learned behaviors and all of the old infrastructure and foundation that I had that was built on the toxicity and the unhealthy, you know, dysfunctional ways of the the environment and the family and the community um, and experiences that I grew up in that had shaped me that really were um, just not no no good for me and not healthy that all had to be torn down but now I'm like now what do I do you know what I mean because that was familiar that was comfortable I knew that because I lived in that for so long now I'm like starting from the starting all over and I have to rebuild and I'm like well now what do I do and I've been really sitting up here feeling really discouraged especially this week because I feel like I'm not I don't have a place like I don't know what I should be doing I want to be productive I want to be working continue to work on myself continue to do the things to rebuild my life putting one foot forward you know all of these things you know for me for my children for my legacy my bloodline all of that right but it's like I don't know where to begin like I'm out here, I'm looking for a um, job, you know, because I haven't worked in a while. I'm really an entrepreneur, but sometimes you got to do what you got to do, you know, until you get to where you want to be. And I'm one of those people like I'm a grinder. I'm a go getter. I'm a hustler. You know, I know how to go out here and make it happen and, and utilize, you know, this thing to, to I get to the next thing. You know, I know how to do that. So I'm like, OK, I'm even willing to get out back out here if I got to go back to doing hair because I was a licensed cosmetologist. If I have to go back to doing insurance or being in um, the finance industry, because I used to do that too. I was a licensed a- insurance agent and all of those things. I have skills, you know, I have education, you know, I, you know, I'm in school. You know, I have a lot of things. I have a lot of experience in the health um, care field. I did that for a very long time. Went to school to be a surgical tech. So I have a lot of skills. I have a lot of experience. I have a lot of education. Now I'm just trying to understand how do I take all of that or what do I do in order to start uh, taking that to generate income, right? So we can begin to rebuild our life. And so I've, I've been feeling stuck like, Lord, what am I supposed to do? And then I need, I feel like I need a good friend group. I need to change. I need, I need a good, now I'm in a new place. I don't live where I used to live no more now I gotta make new friends anyway but I'm cautious and careful but I'm like I need a good friend group a good support group a small group you know I need to get plugged into a good church you know all of these things and I'm like Lord I just feel lost like in a rut like I don't know where to begin where to start what to do so I've been frustrated because I like productivity. I like to be movement I'm a doer by nature so I like to get things done I like to be moving forward but sometimes you gotta be still however you know even me, maybe I need to start something, right? Because at the end of the day, maybe the very thing that I feel like I'm lacking, maybe God wants me to create it. So I gotta, I gotta be available to listen, to hear. What am I supposed to do in this new season, in this unfamiliar season, right? But what I do know is I'm no longer held hostage to sin, to my past, to my experiences, right? To my trauma. And I'm loved. Even if no one else loves me in the world. I know God loves me, even if I have to keep reminding myself every day that he loves me. I'm still here because he loves me. There are so many, I have so many testimonies of things that could have took me out. I had anaphylactic shock in 2019 on the operating table. They said it was the worst they ever seen. And I had no pulse. I was not breathing, but I'm still here. The car accident I was in in 2018 totaled my car took the whole front end of my car off I was almost heading out the windshield something put me back in my seat I'm still here I had a brain hemorrhage when I was 17 years old it was bleeding on my brain and aneurysm bleeding on my ocular nerve but I'm still here I started having seizures from 2015 to 2019 seizures everywhere seizure in the car seizure in church seizure at work seizure you know every in the grocery stores everywhere seizures can can kill you and you can be put in a situation where you're having a seizure like in the car or something where that can kill you hurt you hurt somebody else but i'm still here like it's so many testimonies that i have you know that were were just i mean it's not it's by the grace of god that i'm still here so that lets me know that i'm loved somebody loved me because i'm still here and so if that if that's even the only thing that you can hold on to sis hold on to that you're still here because they're still purposing you. You still have value. You're worthy and you're loved. Don't give up. Don't get. Don't allow that discouragement to turn to hopelessness. 
You know, because the Bible says, you know, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Don't allow that those feelings of, you know, just disappointment, discouragement, hopelessness to continue to invade your mind. You know, you got to combat those things with the truth. Even if you don't see it right now, even if you don't see the change, still speak it. Because our minds are so powerful, right? We what we think out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, and whatever so a man thinketh, so is he. So if you keep thinking that negative thing, if you keep pondering on it, dwelling on it, festering on it, that's what you're gonna see. So you gotta change how you speak, even to yourself and over yourself. Change how you speak. Don't allow that negative thing to come out your mouth. Don't allow that negative thought to stay. Cast it out. Replace it with the truth. If you don't understand what the truth is, like I said, go to the Bible. Or just think of the things that you want to see. Think of the things that you want to be your reality. Think If you want to be blessed, if you want to be victorious, if you want to be successful, if you want to be healthy, you want to be whole, whatever it is you want to be, speak that. And keep speaking it until you believe it and until you see it. So I hope this helped you guys. I'm not sure what we're going to title it today. Kind of didn't have a title. I'm about to figure that out. But I hope you're blessed. I hope to help someone today. I hope I wasn't just ranting. If I was, forgive me. Just I speak from what's on my heart. And I just hope it bless you. Hey Queens, I finally figured out what we're going to call this episode and it's called You Are Loved because that is what the reminder is. I want to remind us that we are loved as we are on this journey to continue to redefine our worth on the Purity After Promiscuity podcast. The core and the root of it all is love. If you have not love, you have nothing. If you don't think you're loved, if you don't believe you're loved, how can you then love someone else? So we have to really understand that we are loved, even if everything that we see, feel, things that are real, reality, our experiences are real. Even if what they say is counter to what 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 we're speaking, even if it makes us think we're not loved, feel we're not loved, even if it looks like we're not loved, we have to believe that we are loved, that we have a God who loves us if nobody else loves us. David said, even when my mother and my father forsake me, you were there. So that means even if your own parents, your children, it doesn't matter. Your best friend, even if you were portrayed by the person that you thought really had your back, really loved you, really was your person, really, you know, like that was your ace, that was your dad one and you got betrayed you're still loved anyway god loves you with an endless love unwavering love a a love that would never end right and the bible tells us out of faith hope and love love is the greatest right you got god loves you and he is love and the very fact that you're here you're listening wherever you are you still have a sound mind you still have breath in your body you still have you know functionality of your limbs even if you don't the fact that you're still alive means you are loved regardless of your circumstances regardless of your physical circumstances your financial circumstances your economical circumstances it relational circumstances it does not matter you are loved you're here because you're loved and because you're here it's not over God can still do the miraculous. He can still do anything. He can change your situation around in an instant. It is not over until it's over. And even if you die, God can still resurrect you. So it's never over with God. You have to know that. And if you don't know him, please, you know, get to know him. You can always receive Jesus Christ. You don't have to be in a church. You don't have to be a part of a church. You can just, you. it could be a personal thing between you and Christ. I'm an avid believer of an individual experience with Christ. You don't have, it's not a format. It's not a formula. Yes, you can repeat after a person. Yes, you can quote some scripture. You can confess with your mouth, Jesus Christ is Lord. Believe in your heart that he is Lord. You can co- you confess your sins. You can repent. You, that means you can stop sinning, you turn around, you change your mind. And yes, you can 
didn't do all of that. But I truly believe that when you're saved, you really have a personal encounter and there is something that is happening in your heart. There is transformation that begins to take place and you become sanctified. The process of sanctification starts and you begin to think different, to do different, to be different, even if it's just small things, right? Because evidence of salvation is transformation. You're not the same. So again, by all means, you can always reach out to me at Janelle Renee underscore one. You can DM me there on Instagram. You can also hit me up um, on my email at purityafterpromiscuity at gmail.com. I will talk to you, pray with you, you know, try to give you some direction, try to lead you, you know, to the right community, place, small group, whatever it is. I will do anything I can to help you. You just got to reach out because I don't know, right? I'm not God. I don't know everything. And so I just highly encourage you if you want to pursue that. And again, you can do it on your own terms. It don't have to look a certain way. And even if you don't, even if you don't want to be a Christian, that's okay too. You're still loved. I still love you, but God loves you even more. And so just remember that your past does not define you. It develops you and you are worthy.